Cloiso and welcome to the Welsh Music Podcast. I'm James. And I'm Neil. How's it going, mate? I'm good, yeah. Another good um, episode in the bag with uh, Matt Durbridge from Zabrinski. Uh, you're a fan of these guys? Yeah. I didn't go to the uh, reunion gig last year, um, but back in the day I saw them support Gorky's and you saw them support Furries? Yeah. Uh, one of the first gigs I went to, actually, when I was in sixth form, way back in, God, Tottenham 4, the Phantom Power Tour. Um, Super Free Annals, I'll go into it in the episode. Yeah, really great night of Welsh music. It was... Um, Zabrinsky and Gold looking chain on the bill. Yeah, really good. Yeah, so we also talk in the episode about the fact that Matt went to school with um, Ellis James, uh, who's obviously a big, big music fan, um, and a nice piece in the Western Mail uh, last week by uh, debut episode guest Dave Owens, um, talking mostly about football, you know, Wales qualifying for the Euros, but also um, touching on music and saying, you know, what a great, vibrant scene we, we have in, in Welsh music right now. It is, yeah. It's a really healthy environment, isn't it? From, you know, the upcoming bands like uh, Adboy, who won the Welsh Music Prize. Um, I'm loving the Welsh language album by Mark Roberts at the moment. Some great new releases too, like uh, Silent Forum and the collaboration, a really interesting collaboration between um, novelist Lloyd Owen and uh, Erods with uh, Aitha Nethoith. Uh, and we'll be at um, Pretty Vicious, one of their very last gigs, maybe even their last gig, is it? That's I think Carlos it is, yeah. Globe, yeah, on uh, Sunday. Um, we're off to McCluskey at Club Bach next week. Hopefully get to see the keys as well in the album launch next Thursday at the gate yes yeah so uh, and then we've got Mark Roberts in January so uh, yeah really exciting times yeah so uh, thanks as ever for um, for listening and subscribing um, really appreciate your feedback uh, on Twitter at Welsh Music Pod or over email welshmusicpodcast at gmail.com going to give another quick shout out to the guys in the Montagues who provide the uh, theme tune for the for the podcast with uh, Devils uh, a track taken from their Calibrate EP and as ever we'll uh, showcase a new artist at the end of each episode if you want to uh, send us uh, one of your tracks then please get in touch with us at welshmusicpodcast at gmail.com we've got a bit of a backlog to get through but um, hopefully we can uh, get your new stuff played Matt Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on the Welsh Music Podcast. Thank you for having me. Big fans of Zabrinsky. So let's start there. Is it true you were named or misnamed after the, the film Zabrisky Point? Yeah, I'm, I I decided that we I'd like the name Zabrinsky more. It just sounded better. It sounds awful now, obviously, but at the time it sounded, yeah, like that sounds better. Um, yeah, but looking back, if you tell if I tell my kids now that um, we're called Zabrinsky, they just look at you like... Like horrified, like that's an awful name. And they're right. Were you a big fan of the film? No, <laughs> no. A fan of the soundtrack? Uh, no, not really. No, all right. <laughs> no. Okay. I also read that a career in rock and roll may not have happened. Um, you could have been a successful racehorse jockey. Is that is that an urban legend or? What? It's um, it's not. I don't think it's a legend. It's a lie. Um, <laughs> um, I'm actually allergic to horses. Oh, right, sorry. <laughs> that would never actually happen. I'd be the worst jockey ever, actually, just sneezing all the way around the, the racetrack. So you formed Zabrinsky with um, y- your school friends in, in Carmarthen. You went to uh, a school governing Gymraeg Bromerthen, um, which had quite illustrious alumni. You were in the same year as uh, as, as comedian Alice James, A-Ross and the guys from uh, Gorky's Agati Monkey, but also a lot of uh, big rugby players as well. And I don't mean just like, physically but they are quite big uh, Stephen Jones Reese Priestland and Ken Owens was there a bit of a hard choice between um, music and rugby I think most people can um, relate to a period in their lives when they get to maybe 14 15 16 where they decide one thing or the other um, it's usually like quite a drastic change yeah so it went from rugby kind of five days a week to being uh, starting a band loosely based around the names of Brisky Point um yeah, so it was quite a dramatic turn in health and fitness and um, <laughs> trying to learn how to play instruments. But we did, 
we went full steam ahead with it and committed. So it was, it was good time. Gokies were in sixth form when we were in first year. Oh, so a little bit older, yeah. We used to go lunchtime, they'd be practising in the music room and like, who the hell are they? Wow. Who, who are these people? Talking about this, um, didn't he used to put on um, bus trips to watch the Gorkies in like London and places? Did you did you go on those coaches? Yeah. Um, that was probably the best thing about our school was um, there were lots of organised uh, music uh, gigs and things we go much super early so uh gawkies quite often in like weird little farmer towns around wales um yeah really good we were all quite proactive when we were like 15 don't know how they rented buses to us to be honest at that age we used to put on gigs when we were like 14 in pubs and they just said yeah no worries alice supported you uh in your early days um uh, including a gig at brick lane where apparently didn't go down too well is that right i think he's been a bit too self-critical um i found it funny and there's a few of us laughing from the band. So, you know, we think that we made him, to be honest, to be the comedian <laughs> that he was, that he is, sorry, um, from that gig. I mean, it gave him the nerves of steel that he has now playing massive venues because of that. So he owes a lot to us financially, to be honest, as well. Why did he think it, uh, it didn't go so well? Um, quite a lot of cutting edge humour based around West Wales. Um, heroin and AIDS jokes, um, Quite, yeah, quite a toe-curling comedy for a Notting Hill Carnival weekend. So you moved to Cardiff with with the band and you released the debut single, Freedom of the Highway, Rattlesnake on Ice, uh, on Booby Trap, the Cardiff-based singles club that that Hugh Stevens set up. Hugh's obviously one of those characters that seems to be sort of like uh, omnipresent in any any sort of conversation you have about Welsh music. And Booby Trap was a great initiative. How did that help you as as a band sort of like finding your feet? Uh, Massive. I mean, um, probably all the guests that you'll have on this podcast uh, in the future or past will mention Hugh Stevens probably, Um, Beth Elvin, certain people who've been instrumental throughout all the bands. Um, oh, the booby trap label was brilliant. I mean, they paid for a studio for a few days, committed to like making the pro- proper singles club, radio play, almost guaranteed radio one, radio play and stuff. So it's massive step up for us. Um, but we were only 18 at the time, I think. Just moved to Cardiff. It was like New York, it felt like to us, or, or Rio or something. Coming from <laughs> West Wales, it was like, wow, we're in the big city. Can you remember the first time you heard uh, Zabrinsky on the radio? Yeah, I was in Crispin Fry um, in Carmarthen on King Street. Um, was having chips and gravy, nice. and it came on, and I wanted to tell the guy like, "This is me." <laughs> I didn't. I just said chips and gravy, please. But it was quite a proud moment. Um, so you mentioned there about uh, Beth and Alvin and uh, Hugh Stevens being um, influential in your early career, uh, giving you early airplay. Um, you recorded um, a session at uh, Rockfield with Tim from Spiritualized uh, for the Radio One session in Wales. What what's your memories of that? He was really cool. I remember that. He basically took us for what we were, um, shambolic, um, quite affable people, I think, but definitely shambolic. And obviously it was paid for by Radio 1, by BBC. So an element of like, hurry up, that's, you know, stay in time, get it done. But um, yeah, amazing. We were in 18 again, you're in Rockfield and he's saying, you know, this is where Freddie Mercury did Bohemian Rhapsody. And then I just smack the keys. (laughs) Don't know any chords, just like, yay. Yeah. And talking of milestones for bands, ticked off uh, John Peel. Did you record at May the Vale and, and was John Peel around? No, he was um, he was home, I think. I think he broadcast from his lounge, didn't he, in Norwich or somewhere. Oh, um, yeah. So we had some uh, hotshot producer that was like, um, you know, he'd done all the legends and then 
he had to do us, which, yeah, he found quite difficult, I think. <laughs> and in 2001, you released uh, your debut album, uh, Screen Memories, uh, which was released on your own microgram label and led to a deal with angst. Yeah, I mean, um, yes, I've actually quite forgotten about that period, but I think we were still in school then. Yeah, we were still in secondary school. And Iwan from the band decided to start his own label, do the distribution, everything. And um, yeah, over a few months we did an album and that's basically how we started Sprinsky properly was that first album. We never really took any time to, you know, get in the groove or anything. We just went, right, let's do an album and let's do another one and then keep going. Yeah. So your second album, Yeti, uh, released on Angst, was described as a collection of 10 tracks just bristling with ambition. Is that how you felt? Did you have loads of ambition and drive? Yeah, I mean, um, that's probably when we started to think a bit more big scale. Not that we ever want big scale, but we were starting to think like more sonically and like, can this be played to more people? And I remember one uh, <clears throat> record label, like they heard Freedom the Highway and they said like, wow, you know, really interested. And then they said, send us another song. So I sent another song off the album to him and he, he just like replied saying, wow, yeah, you're quite experimental and you... And that was the end. I didn't hear from him again. It's like, ah, oh, cool. This is going to be fun. Yeah, loaded compliments. <laughs> yeah. But then next sort of uh, big step in, in the band's history was supporting Coldplay and, and JJ72. Again, uh, big support from BBC Radio 1. What do you remember about supporting uh, Coldplay? Uh, I suppose looking back, hindsight now when you're older, um, not so much wiser, but older, um, it's quite a scary, scary thing, really. Like Coldplay were number one at the time and... Uh, they were on MTV on the TVs while we were eating the food before the gig. And I was like, fuck, this is, this is bad. And then you walked out and there was like 2000 people there just all staring at you, like shouting wanker or whatever. It was really hard, but I mean, it was quite a good um, confidence builder. If you could do, you know, if you could do that when you're 18, just go for it. I'm sure we were really shit, like super shit, but. Bit different from uh, Coldplay. How did, uh, how did you get on the same bill as them? Yeah, that, that's Heap Stevens again, I think. Um, got a phone call saying we're looking for something very different to Coldplay. Well, the opposite, they actually said. Um, Will you do it? And I said yes, thinking it was definitely a joke. And it turns out it wasn't a joke and we were going to play. Um, so we hired two of our friends. Hired, I say, we didn't pay them. We just asked them to be roadies for us. And that's, yeah, that's our first proper gig, I suppose, that one. And uh, did you mingle them at all backstage? Um, the drummer was really nice. He said, good gig, lads. I don't think he watched us, but he was just being nice, which I appreciated. I knew he was lighting, but um, I still thought, oh, nice guy. And no, the others didn't speak to us. I don't blame them, to be honest. Didn't they release the track list into their album in like the the Daily Post up in North Wales last week? And I think maybe it was the drummer who used to work yes, there. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, so maybe that's the only reason why, because he's got a bit of Welsh. Yeah, that's why he's in. nice, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, the only one. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure they're lovely guys, sorry. So you were heralded as being the first generation of Welsh bands to follow uh, Super Free Animals and uh, Gorky Zygotic Monkey, um, but Yeti uh, drew comparisons uh, with the likes of New Order, uh, Aphex Twin and Flaming Lips. What did you make of those comparisons and who do you think you were closer to? That's a good question. Um, well, first of all, we genuinely didn't ever um, compare or even notice if we sounded like anyone else, to be honest. Um, even if we did, we, it was genuinely not noticed when we were recording until the reviews came out and they all pretty much said the same, I don't know, five, six, seven different bands. Um, 
Which, I don't know, what do you think? I think, like, yeah, it's a bit lazy to compare you, especially to the Welsh bands, but what were you listening to at the time of, like, Yeti? Hmm, not really sure. We liked doing fe- field recordings and, like, you know, recording kids in our school and bus drivers and things like that. So, I'm not sure how we got those... Uh, <laughs> Comparisons <laughs> Like the furries You had a bit of a reputation For um, live improvisation Was that due to Dislike of rehearsing? We liked um, jamming We were good at jamming Like we used to practice Outside and industrial state Outdoors That was the best fun ever um, You know Just like forklift truck, trucks Driving around us And things like that um, But we weren't particularly um, Skilled musicians Or um, Yeah we weren't Like we weren't a proper band, so to speak. We were, we enjoyed just seeing what happened, and yeah. So to answer your question, probably no. <laughs> Our last guest was uh, John Bostron. Um, we said that we were speaking to Matt Zabrinski, uh in the next episode, and he said you've got to ask him about this. Um, apparently, you had a support slot lined up with is either Pavement or Stephen Malkmus. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. And is it his pavement or? Uh, it was Steve Marcus, right? yeah. And you missed it because you were watching the Flaming Lips? Yeah, but yeah. I feel ashamed now you said that. Um, we, we had a prior engagement um, and we couldn't make the gig. And we um, politely said we can't make it. That's all there is to the story, I think. But did you did you go to a house party afterwards? Or yeah, um, I was sat next to Stephen Malcolmus <laughs> later that night, and I didn't say a word. I just was polite to him. Maybe the uh, the lazy comparisons with them um, with Gorkies and Furries was due to the fact that you were regularly supporting them, and I think that was when we both first saw you as a band. Yeah, um, two thousand and four, uh, Phantom Power, which is just one of the most underrated Welsh albums really I think it's a brilliant album and I think um, I probably saw you with the Gorkies a little bit earlier on um, that must have been a trip any tales from the, from the tour bus? well <clears throat> Gorkies was our first proper tour um, first ever tour bus like we used to just spend our advance record money on tour buses and we're quite aware that we probably would have you know you're never going to get this chance again so we used to just get the tour bus and lose all our money basically um, so Gorkies was the first tour uh, yeah, oh, that was the best listening to that they were on fire they were like at their best for that tour and on that um, 2004 um, Phantom Power brilliant lineup, really in terms of um, on stage and backstage really uh, Super Furries Sabrinsky and Goldie Looking Chain if I remember rightly yeah that was that was a brilliant tour that was fun um, they were like a bigger venues again so you're playing to like thousands then so they were quite nerve wracking but yeah, seeing Super Free Animals soundcheck every night for like 16 days in a row was really special. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Next up uh, was Koala Coordination, and this time you had Chris on keyboards, and the Sunday Times described it as very strange, rather marvellous, <laughs> um, and a beguiling album that is both smart and warm. Um, what were your sort of memories of, of that album? Um, yeah, we worked a lot harder on that. We seemed to have um, an actual goal... Uh, yeah, we, oh, it was amazing. We got to record in like Mono Valley for like a week. How, how, I don't even know how, but we did. Um, with Greg Haver and then, uh, Bryn Derwen in Bethesda, North Wales. Like, I don't know how. We were only 18 or 19. I don't even know who paid for it. Um, but yeah, it was, um, absolutely amazing. And, um, the band's last album, uh, to date, uh, Ill Gotten Game was released in 2005, uh, described by the BBC as a many faceted work of wonder. Good review that. <laughs> 
<laughs> was that the only one? Can you find any more? Angst, their press release said that it was without doubt the finest release that the label has been associated with in the 17-year history. Wow. It's been some good releases as well. <laughs> yeah, Not sure they meant that. And um, Sprinsky's final performance was at the Gwil Max Fest in Carmarthen on 1st September 2007. Uh, the band then took 10 years off to, and I quote, ruin their lives. What did you get up to? Just normal stuff, like getting jobs. And um, yeah, that's that's where the ruin their lives part came from. Um, just working in the civil service and things like that. Spreadsheets. Right, you know, see. clocking in, booking annual leave, that kind of shit. That, yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but you also uh, did do things musically as well. So you wrote Just War with Griff Reese for Danger Mouse and Sparkle Horses, Dark Knight of the Soul. Yeah, I can't take much credit for that, to be honest. Um, Griff's too kind. Um, I'm, basically, I went to the see the Super Freeze finish one of their albums and um, we were reading a book and I just said, ask, you know, Just War, we were talking about Just War. And I said it was a good song title, as in it's just, it was a double meaning for a just war and a just war. And the Griff was so super over kind and said, I'm going to give you credits for the song. And I literally didn't write any of it, never heard it. It was like across the world and um, I hadn't even heard the song. Uh, he's too nice. He's a top man. I, yeah. um, I remember you covered Gorky's again, uh, Miss Trudy. Um, very different take. Well, maybe a little bit similar to how they... They make a big, massive change in, in the sound of the song, particularly the video goes a little bit uh, loopy um, at some point. For uh, a, a Recordia Preen's tribute to, to the Gorkies, y- Yaki Da, was that how the band got back together again? No, that was um, actually, I hadn't done any music at all for quite a while when I did that. Um, but you're good, well pointed out, I thought, I was trying to, not copy it, but trying to listen to their version, which is like, you know, what's the point? It's so good. It's one of my favourite songs. Um, so I thought I'll just make it really bad, but kind of weird, you know, it just felt kind of shit, but cool. Um, I haven't heard it for ages, but um, I spent like, did that in like two hours. And then I thought, no, I'm going to leave it like that and just send it like that rather than build it back up. So um, yeah, it probably sounds awful, but it felt good at the time. I think I did a massive solo on a broken acoustic guitar, isn't it? I'll listen to it later. Uh, talking of um, soloing on uh, guitars, um, <laughs> you appeared with a real sort of tour de force of Welsh music and culture, uh, Reese Evans, on his Apeth album in uh, 2008, uh, The Golden Mile. Uh, he played on Stonefinger. Um, they basically um, shared, no, well, I'm not sure if it was their studio, but we all shared roughly the same studios down the bay. Um, the Perth were doing upstairs. It was boiling. I remember it was really hot. They all had their tops off and stuff. It was a really nasty place. But I played the same kind of guitar riff, the same note, in fact. It was one note for like five of their songs. But um, yeah, Let's Go Fucking Mental was the one I thought I played on. But that's, the, that's the single, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the only one I remember. It's good too, though. I like that one. You, you're credited on uh, on Stonefinger, um, but I guess miscredited because they spelled your name wrong on the sleeve notes. Wrong song, wrong name. <laughs> it's fine by me it's totally fine so last year Zabrinsky sort of tweeted that they're going to be releasing new music to you know the sort of rapture of all of the, the fans that remembered the band from, from the early 2000s and then you released Amalgamations of Evil via Peace it's supposed to be the first taster of the of the new album can you tell us a little bit more about what, what, what you got planned with, with the new album yeah um, I mean we never we didn't really split up um, I think I did one interview where they asked why we'd split up and I just started talking but we didn't really split up we carried on doing um, music um, continuously so those songs have been over the last 10 years or so 
Um, it did feel really nice to put it out though. There was no social media when we split up, but there was no streaming. There was nothing. We actually had CDs. It's mental. <laughs> what a time. Um, yeah. So to be able to put it out at a whim, on your, whim, your own whim kind of thing was brilliant. Yeah. And you made your live return at uh, soon last year at Club Ivobach, uh with a support from two great young Welsh bands in uh, Los Blancos and Adwaith. What was your memories of that night? Oh, nervous. Um, hadn't played any music for 12 years life. That's quite a long time. It's like, you know, I don't know. It's not like riding a bike. It's the opposite of riding a bike. It's like learning how to play guitar and things again. It was quite nervous, but yeah, you look at Los Blancos and Adwaith and they're know 20 or 19 years old and just the joy of life and the happiness and freedom they've got is yes nice to see did you give them any advice no they don't definitely don't want advice from us. <laughs> definitely don't we need advice from them was that the same as you when you were starting and you know uh, did they, anyone give you advice and then you say no i don't want it no no i wish we'd had some advice from someone wise just came and tapped us on the shoulder and said don't do that lads what would uh, matt now tell young matt what would be the advice you'd give him Mm, to be fair, I don't think I'd change much because the memories are really funny. They're nice memories, but um, career-wise, not good advice. I, I, I should have had some advice from someone or just anyone. My mum or dad doesn't mean just like, don't do that. So when do we, um, when do we think we're going to see the, uh, the new album? Next year, definitely. Yeah, we wanted to do it this year, but we haven't quite, we, we want, don't want it to be half-assed or, you know, it's got to be really good or there's no point really. Any title in mind? There's, yeah, I've got a few, but I haven't mentioned it to any of the other members yet, so I'd better not say anything yet. Yeah, get their approval first. Yeah, it will get approval. <laughs> Definitely not. Another sort of maybe urban legend that we um, that we heard about you was that, um, are we right in thinking that Hugh Stevens used to do magic tricks around the band or for the band or something? Well, I can't, I can't believe you know this, but um, all I remember was in the studio after like a really good day's recording, everyone was really happy and somehow like a was it a five pound note or something ended up in the middle of a pizza. So somebody cut the pizza and we totally unawares and he would, you know, good poker face, but all of a sudden a five pound note, which like didn't have any sauce or anything on it was in our pizza and we were like chewing on it. And then pound coins turned up in gattos and things like that. Don't ask me how, I don't know. He's never told me, he didn't even tell us he was good at tricks or anything. So we had no idea. And he, yeah. So did you employ him or was it just something that you... No, he told us he was part of the magic circle and things. I'm still to this day not sure if any of it's true. Well, if we get him on the show, we'll have to ask him to do a magic trick. Yeah, yeah please do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it won't, it won't be very good radio or podcast, but... Um, Maybe he just put the money in the pizza and that was, that's the extent of the trick. But yeah, we were a bit dim. Wonderful, Matt. So thank you for talking us through, you know, um, your time with Zabrinsky and, you know, hopefully many more years to come. Um, and what we try and do on the, the Welsh Music Podcast is ask our guests to talk about their favourite Welsh album and then we elevate it to the Welsh Hall of Fame, create an archive of um, wonderful Welsh music and no one else is allowed to choose that album again. What's your favourite album? Oh, this, this was a tough one. Um, maybe I chose for kind of self-gratifying reasons, selfish, sentimental reasons, but um, I went for How I Long to Feel That Summer in My Heart, um, Gorky's. I got to monkey. Um, yeah, that was the tour we went on. So our first ever tour on tour bus was watching Eros sing those songs every night. And it was honestly, it was magical. It was like rays of gorgeous happiness going through you every night. So I'll never forget that. It's brilliant. Did any other Welsh albums come close in your thinking? Oh, I could have chosen any Gorky's or Super Furries one. Like I, I couldn't pick a Super Furries one. I actually thought of that and I thought, 
it's impossible. I can't choose one. I don't even know what my favourite Super Furries album is, let alone, yeah. Uh, Topper, I listen to a lot. I'm sure Gareth and other members would have completely different albums, but um, yeah, for sentimental reasons, it has to be that one. So you said earlier that you went to school with them. They were obviously in sixth form when you were in the first year. You used to go jump onto Alice's coaches, as we call it. Um, what what can you remember about them um, in school, um, Aeros and the guys? They used to call Gareth, who's in our band, the guitarist, Toby Mangle. Do you remember Toby Mangle? Neighbours? Yeah, neighbours, yeah. yeah. And they used to, when we went to gigs, he, they'd all shout Toby Mangle at him while they were playing live. And that obviously endeared us a lot. Do you think he looked um, like him? Or oh, he did, yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. yeah. He loved it, really. Did, um, was he the one when he had Bouncer or was that someone else? Oh, good, good. Well, that's good. I thought I was up to... Golden Retriever Bouncer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Talking of Super Furries, Golden Retriever. I thought I knew everything about Neighbours, but... <laughs> Gorky's, um, even though they're, you know, they've got monkey, um, you know, Welsh language term in, in their name and, and they interchange between English and Welsh language, they're not necessarily sort of like f- a flag-waving band. No. Um, and, and neither were you. Why do you think that was? So it's a good question because <clears throat> we went to a Welsh language school, one of the only ones basically f- through our district, um, but none of us were ever, f- if, you know, over-the-top, flag-waving kind of patriots. Um, but obviously we all had deep respect for the Welsh language and our parents sent us to Welsh language schools to, you know, for a reason. But yeah, I think there was an appeal to not do that for some reason. Um, it didn't sit easily being that kind of band. It didn't feel right for some reason. I guess for you, you probably come sort of post like Cool Cymru and inverted commas and they preceded right the it. it. And was yours a reaction to that? No, that's a good question. Um, at the time, we were too young to actually think about it properly. So we didn't consider, you know, a scene or anything like that. It was only reviews, like we touched on earlier, that actually pinpointed those kind of references at all. But um, looking back, I think Gorky's and Super Animals probably had to make a conscious effort not to be that kind of band. Um, it was so easy for them to have done it. And it probably took quite a bit of effort for them to stay away from those articles, the photo shoots, all the opportunities they had to to ride on that. And I think they probably chose not to. I think Aeros said um, they operated on a single guide in principle that their music should be made to please yourself and no one else. That's and exactly I, what we did. Yeah, yeah, we thought that all the time. And I wonder yeah. whether that, that had anything to do with it, you know, that it wasn't for commercial gain so they wouldn't be, you know, seen on the front cover of Enemy or anything else draped in a Welsh flag um, and like other bands. At yeah, the that's time. perfect mantra. I mean, that we actually mentioned that a lot when we recorded was, you know, if it pleases us and you want to listen to it, there's nothing kind of sadistic about that, really. If you don't enjoy your own music, then it's pointless as well. But not once did we ever think of commercial success. We could have done. Um, we should have done, <laughs> but um, we didn't. And yeah, like it, sits up, it sits easily with me. I'm, co- you know, content with it. We um, spoke to um, the Media Wells journalist, uh, music journalist uh, Dave Owens in the first episode um, about how he was saying in the early 80s, apart from the sort of alarm there, and there was these great Welsh bands, Welsh language bands, but you just couldn't get an A&R man from London over the Seven Bridge to come and see these bands. Um, there's a quote from um, Aros that says, um, we used to sing mainly in Welsh just because we didn't really expect to be heard outside Wales. What, what, what do you think of that? I suppose the time difference in age is probably quite a big factor in this. Um, I mean, they were probably playing to thousands of people and Fagoffi Paub, that plucky, those, you know, the Kirf 
playing to thousands of people when we were kids. Um, I kind of just missed that. But I was quite interested, intrigued to think when they chose to, you know, become international kind of bands. Um, the language is important, but it wasn't really important in the context of recording albums. I didn't really feel, um, it, you know, we could have spoken Hungarian, Polish, whatever. It wouldn't have made a difference to us. It wasn't important within the albums at all. But learning Welsh for me was obviously really important and continuing to do so is... So Summer, as we'll probably call it, because it's quite a long title, yeah, um, was choice. a seventh full-length studio album from the Gorkies. They released a few on Angst, the same label as, as you were on, and this one was uh, released in 2001 on Mantra. And I guess you could sort of define it as being a bit of a, a concept album and very nostalgic, and there's not much of Welsh language on there. And the thing I find about Gorkies is they talk about quite morose or maudlin sort of subjects, mm. but they do it in such a beautiful, happy, upbeat way. Is that something that drew you to them? Well... That's a really good point, actually. Um, I actually chose that album. I could have chosen any album, let's be honest. They're all brilliant. But I chose that one for that exact point. It seemed with that one, and there was talk between different bands saying that's going to be, before it came out, we heard it, and people said this is going to be their album. They're going to break right with this. And I remember hearing it and being gobsmacked, thinking this is brilliant. But it seemed like they embraced the, um, there's kind of a, a sadness to it, like you said, but with a, they felt like they committed fully with this one. The production is the best production, I think, of all their albums. Um, the drums, I'm big on drum production, but the drums were perfect on this album, absolutely perfect. And um, it felt like they'd really committed to those songs and just gone full on in the sadness, full on in the happiness. I mean, Christina is one of the best songs of all time. We used, oh, little rubbish anecdote, but we used to force Richard James, the guitarist, um, he wrote Stood on Gold and sang that one at like 4 a.m. most weekends. Me and my friend Dylan used to force him to play it to us every week. And he'd go, oh, fuck's sake, not again. Like, yep, now <laughs> keep saying it until he played it and then play it again. He did, fair play to him, he did play it every week. I love Stood on Gold. If I was to pinpoint the two sort of main things that, that would be signatures of, of the Gorkies, they would be Aeros's voice, which you touched upon, that sort of beautiful, amazing. wonderful voice. And then we also talked earlier about how they quickly changed tempo and uh, instruments quite quite frequently that both of those things don't happen 100% on this album because Richard his vocals come in and, and you got Megan on uh, Can Megan as well this is almost like is the purest Gorky's album that's why I chose it but it's not the most Gorky's Gorky's album if that makes that's sense really, really well put that's what that's what I was thinking in my head but you, you said it thank you um, no I could have chosen any other album but they were always reviewed as being, you know, druids or, you know, mushroom fucking hippies or something. But that album, I thought, actually showed in the purest form a songwriter, you know, with an amazing voice, brilliant band, the best production. And that's why I chose it. I mean, I'm almost certain I'd probably be the only one who chose that album. Everyone else would choose an earlier one. Um, I can hear all the other bands saying, no, that's not the best one. But for a kind of self-satisfying reason and obviously we went on tour with the album that's when they were releasing it at the first day of the tour was their release date and here Ross singing that every single night was um yeah actual gift can you remember any actual sort of conversation between um richard james and Aeros as to why exactly richard took vocals for those two songs um no i can't I don't remember. I mean, they were such a lovely band. I, I can't believe they put up with us on tour, to be honest. We were, it must have been horrible to be on tour with. 
they probably regretted it by the second night. Like, oh, fuck. But um, yeah, no. But that's why also another reason I chose that album was because even, you know, when bands change singers and the next track, sometimes it, it's ill-fitting. That album is not at all. And it's it does flow really well, you know, and it, track listing is important. I don't care what anyone says, it's really important. And that one flows brilliantly from song to song. Yeah, I think the only time that they change that, like, uh, shift in tempo unexpectedly, which they're known to do, is in um, The Hair Hangs Long with the uh, the beautiful line seasons come and they may go promise me our love isn't so oh, I'm gonna cry <laughs> <laughs> and that's the sort of first time that they you know let their gawkies that we know and love they've come out yeah I nearly chose gawky five just because it was more you know like let's get together and, and tsunami and songs like that but I I knew in my head even the artwork like it's just it's like rays of happiness and warmth going into me that album is so it's probably more about how I feel with the album rather than it being the best Gorky's album or the best Welsh album. That's, you know, that's a forever ending debate, really. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I, I think Barra Fendel's probably my favourite album, but I think I remember going to university in 1999, this age in me. And me. And I remember buying Spanish Dance Troupe in Amazing. HMV. What a song that is. Oh, well, and a the cracking single there off that album. But because they're so prolific, they had an album around about the same time as I got my loan check every year in university. And then this was probably like the third one. So I remember that. And the band split up in 2007, I think, the same sort of time as, as Zabrinsky did. And Aros has just been as prolific as he was with, with, with the Gorkies, almost releasing an album every single year. Do you still follow what, what Aros is doing? And, and obviously Richard had a few yeah, albums out as well definitely no um yeah I've, it's hard though isn't it when you band split up you know everybody everybody wants to continue in different directions and things but we all would rather they just stay together let's be honest i'd rather gorkies had stayed together and we're still playing as gorkies now one day i've crossed my fingers now they will come back and play and super freeze mate what an amazing lineup gorkies yeah super you can put you can you put that on and zabrinsky oh yeah you don't have to pay us either we'll pay you <laughs> We'll do that next year, I think, when oh, we get yeah. a bit more of a I'm following, we'll see if we get a bit small icons now. And if you had to nail your colours to the flag, what would be your favourite tune on the album? Oh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be like a cool musician and say first album, of, you know, hidden track number 25. I'm going to say Christina, because it nearly makes me cry every time. Or the op- opening track. Um, Where did you go now? That's why I love the album, because I think it almost brings me to tears like every time I hear it. It's it's perfect. Is um, Easy Love an emotional one just for me, or is that for you as well? Yeah, most of it's emotional for me, to be honest. And again, I'm not sure if that's for personal reasons or just in general. Thank you so much, Matt, for your time. Okay. Thank really, you for really having really me. appreciate it. And we're both really excited to uh, to hear what happens next with Zabrinsky with the album in the new year. Well, when he put on the Super Furry Skorky's gig yeah. in, in March, like you just said, <laughs> um, and we play, obviously, um, I'll give you a copy of the new album. Amazing. Swaps. And um, as ever, uh, we champion uh, new music at uh, the end of each episode. Um, a couple of episodes ago, we spoke to uh, the renowned poet and playwright, Patrick Jones. Uh, this is actually his son, Ethan Jones, and it's a song called Nature Says Hi. Uh, it's inspired by American lo-fi bands like Dinosaur Jr. and Pavement, that fuzzy sort of guitar sound. And the track is produced by none other than James Dean Bradfield, who also features on backing vocals. Oh, 